Good to see you all. Thanks for coming. Uh, I, will I will pray and then we'll, get, we'll jump right in. Lord, we do ask that you would uh, be here, be among us. You are good and holy, the giver of life, and we know that uh, we need your spirit to be at work for us to have a right understanding uh, of what to believe, uh, who you are, and how you have revealed yourself to us. So we ask that you would lead our time in Jesus' name. Amen. The new handout is out here, yeah, on the chairs and tables. Uh, and it should say at the top, what is the Bible? That's, that's what we're doing today. Uh, the old handouts are over on the back there, if you, have, if you missed a week. So we, I'm going to try to remind us where we are every week, because that's part of one of the great uh, advantages of, of looking at these sorts of doctrines, is to see how they all fit into the big picture. And so we started off by simply, how do we even know anything? How do we know? How do we know God? How do we know anything around us? And so last week was starting with general revelation. God does make himself known to all people through creation, through our conscience, through reason. So that's what we talked about last week. So it's under, under the bigger umbrella of revelation of God. Uh, there are two books, as it were, the, the book of creation or the book of, of reason, you could call it, book of, of um, yeah, I don't know, other synonyms. But then we're going to talk about the second book, because that book is not now, uh, in light of sin, is not now enough for salvation. So if you remember specifically, that's important, not enough for salvation. It still gives us a lot of things, and obviously if you're not a Christian, you still have access to a lot of true knowledge, um, but not not the sword that you need for salvation, for being in the presence of the holy God. And so, thanks be to God, he has not left us uh, in the dark. He has showed himself to us in special revelation, as it's sometimes called, uh, scripture, the word of God. We're, we're specifically talking about the written word of God today. Uh, there are There is, of course, more than one word of God, you could say. Jesus himself is the word of God incarnate. Um, there's a preached word of God, uh, but in this case, we're talking about the written word of God. All right? Um, to, that, to this question at the top, what is the Bible? What, what are some bad answers to that? Since you could, if I asked you what the right answer was, you could just look on the sheet. That would be cheating. Peggy? Okay, a book of self-help. Some old book full of myths. Some old book full of myths. All right. Wise sayings to live by. Yeah. Written by men. Yeah. It would have been better if it was written by women. But. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes people, like even the Pharisees, when they try to trick Jesus, they treat it almost like trivial pursuit. It's like, what about this verse? Um, and, and you just sort of jump it. 
jump around in it, take things out of context. Um, it's a really important question that maybe we don't realize what the Bible is. Um, what does it claim to be? Uh, what has the church said it is? What does itself say that it is? What is it as a whole? Um, so I think the best, the best definition is actually what I put after inspired word of God. Uh, God's sufficient self-revelation to his people. Um, self-revelation being important. We're going to talk more about sufficiency later, but uh, think of it as the way that God is revealing himself to his people. So it has a specific purpose. It has a specific author. It has a specific uh, audience. All of those make a big difference in how we read it. Just that's, This is true of anything, any book or any, anything. You want to know what it is and what it is for. So if it's not just self-help, it's not just self-improvement, although it may include that. All the things you guys said, it includes, which is kind of interesting, right? Heresy is always half true. <laughs> so there's, there's, it sounds true. Yeah, of course it's a book of wise sayings. It has wise sayings in it. But if you make it only that, you're going to distort it. Or, yes, it has stories in it. Uh, but if you only treat it as stories, you're going you're gonna to ruin it. You know? so, so all of these examples were, were, are true, even written by men. Yes, it is written by men, just not only men. Um, by God himself. Right? So um, let's try to just keep in mind some of the implications there of it being God's self-revelation to his people. This is how, I mean, when you ask what are the means of grace, how do, how do we grow in God? How does God show himself to us? It's word, sacrament, and prayer. Um, and so the word is how he wants to draw near to us. All right? All right, so first, the inspired word of God um, Inspired meaning, 2 Timothy 3 is probably the best example here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It breathed out and, and spoken, right? So think especially of, of the prophets, but we would say all of it is... Um, Thus saith the Lord. Hebrews 1 has a great summary statement as well. I mentioned this in the sermon because we were talking about Christ our prophet last week. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the word. Um, yeah, let me just read the, these next two points, and then we can, we can have some questions. So there's a lot we could talk about here. Um, so this is the very start of our confession of faith, and we mentioned it some last week. We're, we're basically getting to the second part today. The first part we talked about last week. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, 
Yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. So that was all last week. Therefore, hallelujah, whenever there's a therefore, it's usually good, and especially the New Testament. It pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church. But he's not done. And afterwards, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy underwriting, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. So if you notice some of the purpose that is listed there, for the better preserving and propagating. I don't know if you ever thought of like the good news of the fact that we have things written down. We have a Bible. It's very, very, very gracious to God. It's not just oral tradition. It's not a grand game of telephone. Thank God. Um, so it's preserving and propagating the truth, establishing and comforting the church against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, yeah. I think another, another important part of this being, well, yeah, anything you guys want to ask about just these few ideas? There's a lot more we could say about inspired. Uh, yeah. I had a question about um, the apostolic age. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. So what's the question? Well, that was my question. How, how do we? Yeah, I think today you see a lot of movements out there that talk about charismatic kind of necessities. Yeah. Can I punt until a little, until a few minutes? Because because we'll definitely come to that. Uh, the apostolic age. Why is it important that the canon is complete? Yeah. like a prayer book that everyone held and then the Torah would come down the aisle and you would touch it with your book and then kiss it. Um, so 
it's very significant that they believe that it was the word of God, right? And it's very significant. So, so if we can imagine like first century Christians thinking, all right, if this is the word of God, how could we possibly add to it? Uh, that is a very, very significant choice. And Second Peter, it's quoted later in the handout, I think. Second Peter actually talks about Paul, Paul's writings, some of them being hard to understand, like the other scriptures. Uh, so it seems like he's, he's starting to put it on the same category. But I think really this gets to, and this is similar to the apostolic age question, it gets to the significance of what has happened in Jesus. That what the Old Testament had been waiting for and prophesying has finally happened in Jesus. And so what, what has happened needs to be properly interpreted so that we actually know what it means. And so that's how I see the New Testament on par with the Old. Is that kind of what you're getting at? When, when there already was one. When there already was the word of right. God. Like, it's not right. a new concept. That was right. already there. Totally. 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 I mean, I can there was... being unusual because now we're adding. Like, this is a little bit, like, yeah. just like us saying now, the apostolic, like, right. are done? <laughs> right. It's complete? Right. Like, they, for them, it's like, is this really the thing? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's perfectly in consonant with, with the Old Testament right. in that way. And then it's going to be very significant why we can say, just right off the bat, the Book of Mormon is not legit. Yeah, well, the Old Testament was lived, too, right? It was lived. It was not just handed, it was like... Totally lived and totally incomplete. Yeah. In and of itself, like, it, it says it's incomplete. I mean, it's waiting. Uh, yeah. One another important aspect about inspiration um, is God does use the humans that He reveals uh, the word to, and so we don't have to believe in a robotic uh, view of inspiration. And so I think this is easy to see also because different authors have different styles, different language, obviously different, very different contexts. If you take the old and the new. Um, and so the Christian view of inspiration is very different than the Islamic view, for instance. Islam believes that God literally speaks Arabic and it dropped down to Muhammad and that's what he said and it has to be in Arabic. That's not what we believe. We believe that the Spirit of God wrote the scriptures, yes, but he wrote it by inspiring the writers through what was happening, through the, the, the actions, the events, and through how God was telling them what it meant, which came through study, came through discussion, came through all sorts of things. Uh, apostles coming together saying, what does this mean? Uh, debates, you know. So it came through all of that, which is not to discount the Spirit of God writing it. So we don't want to think of it as an either-or. 
Either it's robotic, yeah, this is really pure because it dropped down. No. God is not less at work. If anything, you could say he's more at work, and he's more appreciating the dignity of humanity, just like he does in Jesus. So the word takes flesh in Jesus. It would not be so off base to say the word takes flesh through the written word also, because it's through these languages and through these authors, through Hebrew and Greek. Right? Which, if you, if you hear sort of critical uh, takes on, on that, I, you don't have to, you can sort of call their bluff. That doesn't mean that God was not at work. Yes, humans wrote it. <laughs> like, what does that, that doesn't prove anything necessarily. All right, can we move on? Let's move on. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. It's, you're right, yeah. To say that it's God-breathed is really significant uh, because the spirit of God hovering over the waters in the very first creation in Genesis, um, how does God create by the word? And you can take that very literally because in two ways. You can say by the word because he speaks it into existence. And, but also we know when God speaks, what does he say? <laughs> to put it in a cheeky way. He says Jesus. So he literally created by the word because all things were created through Jesus, through Christ, through the second person of the Trinity, which also Hebrews 1 says. Um, and then you're tying it also to new creation. So anyone who is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. And that happens through the word, by the power of the spirit. And word and spirit are also always kept together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He breathed a nefesh into him. All right, so we do believe it's inspired. We believe it is also inerrant, which was a hot debate in a generation ago. Um, it sort of just follows, I think, from it being God-breathed, right? God's not going to make mistakes. Jesus says as much. Uh, if God said it, it is sure and it is clear. Um, but it's important for us to realize what is inerrant is, one, the words. So inerrant doesn't mean anything Paul ever did was perfect, right? So his personality was somehow inspired. No, we don't believe that. It's, it's the written part that's inspired. Um, and that's why also you have to uh, try to understand the author's intent. What are they saying in the words? 
Okay, so we're going to talk next week about interpretation um, because this becomes huge in interpretation. Yes. Well, that's another good question. So, inerrancy, and, and this, is, this is in the confession. I didn't uh, cite it. They, they say, uh, God's written word is in the original manuscripts, so, so, which theoretically is important, but it's a little bit unfortunate because we don't have the original manuscripts. So, um, we have things that were passed down, we do have, in case you guys are worried, as far as any ancient book, the reliability of the biblical text far, far, far exceeds anything else. I mean, compared to like Homer's Odyssey or the Iliad, it's not even close. So as far as what we know would have been in the original. I mean, we have things from first century, second century, third century. That, and so the current translation that we have is very, very, very good and reliable. But you will see in little footnotes in your Bible, well, this word could be another word. It could mean something else. right? But it's way better, way better than the King James. I mean, the things that they had to rely on when they were translating in the 1600s is just not as good as what we have now. There's been a lot more discoveries. A lot of scrolls have been discovered, stuff like that. Does that make the, the ESV the inerrant? <laughs> no, no, it does not. Although they tried to do that. ESV tried to say, like, this is the established, like, like it's not going to change now. And people, there was a big outcry, like, what are you talking about? No, because we will discover, you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be another Dead Sea Scroll discovery, and we'll, we'll get better light. But we're at, like, 99.5% as far as, it's, it's really good. Um, as far as the, the intent, we'll come back to that when we come to interpretation. Uh, I included one example there. Let's just move on. Um, question of canon. So, like, the question of how do we know what's in the Bible is what should be in the Bible. Um, the established rule of faith. How did they come to put these things together? Um, what was the, the standard that they used to determine that? This also was a hot debate about a generation ago, 20 years ago or so, with the Da Vinci Code and all that stuff. Uh, you should take heart. Dan Brown is just not a reliable historian. Uh, so don't feel like we are at risk with what he's done. It may be interesting, just not true. Uh, Gnostic Gospels, yes, there are a lot of other Gospels out there. You can find them. Gospels of Thomas, Gospels of, I don't know, there's a lot. Mary, I think, all sorts of stuff. Acts of Thecla. And, um, there was just a lot of things that were written later than what we have and written by, uh, or, or, or written in ways that are very different than the apostolic tradition. So, boy Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas is like a magician showing off. He like zaps this other boy playing on the beach building sandcastles. It, it, so the, it's strange, some of the things. Um, so then how should we understand the, the orthodox response? How did the, how did the canon come to be? Um, this, there's, a, there's a lot of 
uh, a lot we could talk about, obviously. One important distinction is the church came to recognize versus confer the authority of the Word of God. So you actually see early church fathers saying, look at what all the other churches already read in worship. So they were reading not just the Old Testament, they were reading Paul's letters alongside the Old Testament. So people like Augustine and earlier can say, these books already enjoy such wide consensus in the church. Let's recognize them, name them as such. Um, that sort of thing. It was, it was also sparked by uh, something called the Marcion Controversy, where he was, he's sort of the earliest, most famous heretic, where he, he was sort of a uber Paul. It's like if Paul went out of his mind extreme, uh, Marcion thought, we, all we need are Paul's letters and some parts of Luke, so let's kick out the whole, whole Testament, let's kick out the other Gospels, yada, yada. And so they were like, no, that's wrong, and these are the books we can trust. So that's what sparked us to... Yeah. Uh, question. Um, number one, that's helpful for recognizing this from Is that come up? Well, that's huge. Yeah. Apologetic conversation about people. Like, well, you know, a bunch of these men made up a little conspiracy and all that. Yeah. Just to oppress people. Yeah. But, um, so that's a different, I, I like that. That's a really distinction. Number two, so in terms of believing in the candidate, the, the canonical nature of these texts, we could look to sort of the tradition of the church being passed on. Exactly, like, exactly. Wait, sometimes it helps me to understand why I believe these things, and you know, maybe I'll get the opportunity to share that with other people too. Yep. But, so, my faith is kind of bolstered by saying, well, you know, God was always working in the church. From the That's right. That's right. And he, the church, you know, after the ascension, always seemed to have these texts as consensus, and they just Passed them on and passed them on. And That's right. There's the actual human consensus, but all, you know, from a apologetic point of view. But there's also the well, God was working to. That, that's right. That, that's absolutely. Same. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's a way to understand the recognized versus conferred, which obviously is is in in contradiction to what the Roman Catholic Church would say. They would say the Church conferred the authority, oh. like they stamped the authority on the tradition. And, and sort of you end up with, uh, you're going to have to have a final authority at some point, yeah. right? In every worldview, philosophy, whatever, at some point the buck has to stop here. And, and we would say it is the word of God where the buck stops. And the church comes along and says, yes, this is self-authenticating. Um, but the church would say, no, the, you have to have the church to say these are right. We would say, no. The church says they're right, but not because the church is the final authority, but because the word is. Um, so, I mean, that's a bit simplified, but you stretching or is that a hand? Oh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just speaking into the Catholic distinction, the Roman Catholic distinction. Uh, I guess just the dates don't line up to me in terms of like when the What, is it, what do you mean about Reformation and, and that? Well, if the canon was settled by 200 AD, many centuries before the Reformation, then when, when did, why do we currently have the 
Oh, well, that, that has just to do with their understanding of the Old Testament. So, when we, sorry, when, when I'm talking about canon 200 AD, that's New Testament canon. Yeah. So, so, under Orthodox response, that really has all to do with New Testament canon. Uh, Old Testament, it, we think it was pretty much settled by 2nd century B.C., um, but this question of the deuterocanonical books or the apocryphal books that, uh, so the Catholic Church never formally accepted them until the Counter-Reformation. So I'm pretty sure that's right. So like they never had to say these are true until we said they're not. Um, but, but you do have ancient authors quoting from like the Wisdom of Solomon and other deuterocanonical stuff. It just seems like they're actually pretty late. That, so these Old Testament books would have been actually 1st century A.D., 2nd century A.D. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. On. Yep. Were those, those four or five books, those still pretty much recognizing scripture even before, so that they could buy it? I mean, I know there was. Yeah, the, usually if there was like controversy, it meant um, either there were some hard things they weren't sure how to interpret, like James or Revelation or Hebrews. So it would be hard to interpret. How does this jive with these other things we know were written by Paul? Um, or it was, we're not sure where this came from, so we don't know its source. So we don't know who wrote Hebrews, for instance. Or Revelation, was this really by John? It comes later. Because apostolic, it was always, the debate was always, is this apostolic? And so if this letter has appeared and we're not sure, is this really from the hand of Paul or not, that would be a main criteria. Um, and then I think that another way that it was debated was maybe it was only recognized in a part of the church, so like a certain region, geographical region. So the East really likes this, but the West has never even heard of it. So what should we do about that? Uh, so, so I read that the book of Hebrews was led, put into the canon because they decided it was written by Paul. Yeah. Which is God's way of sneaking it in. It's, I think so, yeah. I think so. <laughs> Yeah, because it never claims to be by Paul. Yeah, yeah. And almost certainly is not by Paul. Though Calvin thought so. Calvin can be wrong. You heard it here. All right. Um, I, would, I would encourage you to read. I'm not going to read these uh, on the handout here, but this, what I was just saying about the apostolic foundation and succession the reason why apostolic is so important is, think about it, the apostles were the ones Jesus literally chose. So if it comes from an apostle, it's reliable. Uh, if it doesn't, we're not so sure. So always it was about, is this being passed down from the apostle's hands, either literally from an apostle's hand or from a close confidant. So Mark was a close confidant of Peter, Luke is a close confidant of the apostles. He puts himself in, in the book of Acts, um, that sort of thing. Um, 
there's that, on page 11, there's that Second Peter quote when he talks about Paul. Account the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. So take heart. It's in Second Peter already, uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Um, all right, I, want, I do want to get to some, some of this other stuff. Uh, another important aspect, so we've got inspired, we've got inerrant, and we've got established word of God. It's like the canon. Perspicuous is a fancy word for being clear. or clear. It's really clear enough for salvation. So this is another important Protestant doctrine that the Catholic Church would technically not agree with. Um, we would say anyone can understand enough about it to be saved. It's not a matter of intelligence, and it's not a matter of having to go through the church's interpretive arm. Um, but, as we just read in Second Peter, it doesn't mean anyone can always understand it, everything. So that's certainly not true. Uh, that's where the Protestants go the other extreme. Church history is like one big pendulum back and forth, back and forth. So the, you could say the Roman Catholic went one extreme. A lot of Protestants go the other and say, well, then all you need is a Bible in your hand, and, that, and you're good. Which is so unbelievably proud and individualistic, like to a foolish degree, right? Uh, and that's why you end up with so many different interpretations. So we would say, no, 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 not that far. Right? Come on back. We need to interpret. But we'll get to interpretation next week. We need to interpret with the church. Um, all right. And then it's also complete and sufficient. So here goes, this goes to Pat's question. Um, do we really have to believe all of it? So our confession makes it clear right from the start. Those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. And then in section 6 of the first chapter, unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. So they were addressing in their time, remember this is a document from the 1600s, new revelations of the spirit, that's addressing Anabaptists, who we would call today Charismatics or Pentecostals. Traditions of men is addressing the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. So we would say both of those are different ways to add to the canon, to add to scripture. Um, and those are now ceased. Now, before I get to this long quote, um, that doesn't necessarily address Pat's question. I, I think part, part of the reason why we can believe it's complete goes back to Jesus. So to say that the canon is complete is an important faith statement because it is saying what Jesus has done it's as if God doesn't have to do anything else to reveal himself. So when Jesus returns, in, some, in like a technical way, you could say it's not going to be anything surprising or new. It's going to be what we already knew by faith will become by sight. We already know who Jesus is. We already know that he's going to redeem the world. Now, sure, we, 
we don't, we're not going to get, it's still going to overwhelm us and surprise us in that way, but that's more of a, a matter of degree. God's, we, we have a sense of God's glory by faith, and it's going to be amazing. What is it going to be like to have redeemed bodies? We don't really know, but we have a sense that that's going to happen. Um, so then to say we need more revelation, it you will end up diminishing the sufficiency of Christ, not just the sufficiency of the Bible. And that is often what you see in some other traditions, if I could humbly say. You end up making it more about yourself or some new thing rather than being amazed at what Christ has done. Let me just say one more thing, which is uh, remember, it's, we're talking about revelation of God. We're not talking about God at work in the world. And we are not talking about the spirit at work in the world. So don't let anyone ever try to convince you that Presbyterians don't believe the spirit is at work. That's not, certainly not what we believe. But we believe there's not going to be any new revelation. We're not going to learn some new content about what God has done in Jesus that's not already in the word. But we certainly need the Holy Spirit to lift our, the blinders from our eyes to see and understand. So that's a very important distinction. You can call that illumination. God, we are praying for God to enlighten our hearts and minds. That will appear, maybe you could say, it will appear to, as revelation to us. <laughs> you know, It's like, God, I do need you to reveal this to me. But it's not going to be new revelation in the technical, biblical sense because nothing that we will learn will be on par with Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was kind of what I was kind of answering. Okay. I was curious what the relationship with that and, like, the cessations kind of thing was. Like, the kind of, like, like, cessation one gives to the Spirit. Right, right. Which kind of gets to that. So, so we would say if, if you... If someone thinks there are still prophets in the real biblical sense of the, of the word, we would say, no, I don't think so. As far as they're going to say, thus saith the Lord, and this is new that you've never heard before. The Puritans would say that prophesying is preaching, which is, I'm commenting on, thus saith the Lord. Totally. Totally. Yes. Totally. You should definitely never counter. <laughs> but even then, being beside it, um, it, it, it also, it, it sort of limits, maybe, maybe it, it reminds us that our passion or our enthusiasm should be in proportion to what Scripture reveals, which we, I mentioned this week with some other guys. Like, you may be really passionate about trying to discern what job to take out of school, but if God has never revealed that in scripture, maybe that shouldn't be the most consuming part of your life. He's revealed a lot of things in scripture and we haven't mastered them. So let's try to keep our enthusiasm and passion on that. 
not whatever else we may think we need in life. Right. And so it also means I, I can't say with the same confidence or authority, God has told me to marry Allison. I can't say with the same authority as I can say, God has forgiven me in Jesus. Sorry, babe. <laughs> was there a hint? Yeah, I just thought that on the sufficiency question, the end of John is really Yeah. It's not, not the fault of the word. <clears throat> yeah. That's important, too, because it gets to the purpose of, of what was included. Um, it shows that God used the human author there and says it has been included with the purpose, and John tells us what the purpose is, that you would believe that in Jesus and have eternal life. So probably if you... If he revealed more, we'd probably get so distracted by all of these amazing things. I don't know. Let me, let me read. Uh, it's getting late. Uh, you can read it. Um, that, the, the, the rest of that section is basically on we need both God to act and God to tell us what his action means. So... We need Jesus to die. Yes, hallelujah, absolutely. But we still wouldn't know what it meant if he didn't tell us what it meant. So we need interpretation of it. Deed, word, deed, word, deed, word. And so that's where that revelation comes down uh, in that long quote. Okay. Um, what are we, I, I definitely don't just want to leave this question, though, that we're trying to keep in front of us. Um, how ought this to impact our prayer character and community? Where, where does this start to hit you more, uh, not just in maybe the apologetic debates, but why is this important that this is the Bible? That's a great point. And you also summarized actually something that I didn't even mention. It's complete but not exhaustive. And, and so that, that does come out where it says, uh, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for, it's only necessary for certain things, for very important things, but certain things. Man's own, uh, God's own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. Not going to help you in constitutional law. Yeah. Yeah. 
goes hand in hand with the relationship that we have with God. And we want to let, just like any relationship, you want to let that person define who they are to you. And we can trust that revelation, that communication. Uh, we want to be humble in that and also cur more curious. There, there's a sort of humble curiosity that's different than prideful prideful curiosity is just you're just speculating because you want to find something interesting. But humble curiosity is saying, wow, this is all here and I get to I can learn more about this. You know, it's a sort of hunger and thirst uh, for the word. Surely this should make us just like love and treasure it. Um, Trying not to lose the forest for the trees, right? The purpose being to reveal God's self to us, to lead us to worship, not just vain speculation. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, continue to make us more and more humble and more and more curious about who you are about what you have done throughout history, how you have uh, saved us in Christ, and how you are calling us out uh, to be a people for your own possession. Lord, we pray that uh, your word would uh, just saturate our lives, our worship, um, and that we would be able to dwell with you to your glory as we read and study and meditate on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week is how to interpret. We've got the Bible. How do we know what it means?